0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Baking in the hot, hot western sun.
1: Ah, yes, field camp time.
0: Oh, have you seen this heat dome, though? Oh, my gosh.
1: I have. Uh, It's the first time the temperatures are seasonal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I know, yeah, oh gosh, it's so hot out here, Um, I remember like first weeks, even though I know it's June, like I remember first couple weeks of field camps, you know, just a couple years ago where it was like 60, and raining, and it was amazing, but it's like it's already in the 90s here, so yeah, it's um, it's hot, hot field camp time, Uh, but we did see something I've never seen before. What's that? We saw a gopher snake strangle a bunny
1: <laughs> wow
0: yeah yeah from afar everybody it's not like something I mean, we actually came across it as it was just finishing um yeah so it's a uh it's a snaky year and um yeah. they're hungry it's real weird
1: <laughs> oh we've already thrown a snake over our back fins here
0: Oh, well, there you go Mm-hmm. Yep,
1: and relatively large for this early.
0: Uh, exactly. This gopher snake was huge, and I didn't know how they... We saw a couple of them two years ago when we were out here, and I haven't seen those very much before, and I didn't know how they ate, but yeah. They're constrictor, so they eat by squeezing things, and this guy was probably five foot long, and you couldn't put your hand around him. He was a big old boy.
1: Yeah, that's... That's chunky.
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, so that's uh, that's how that is. And it was just our first day with the students because we had a protracted... We're having a protracted camp this year because we had to plan during COVID and then got the okay, And but we had to have a very shortened timeline. So here we are. Everybody's very excited. I have a very small class, which is reminiscent of my field camp class when I took it. And it's really neat. It's so much different than having, you know... 40 students out here. So we're all having a good time.
1: Well, excellent. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So,
1: and you are everything to the camp this year, right? (laughs)
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, So because of COVID, um, I said, you know, I don't think we should have a cookout here. Like I was trying to get the university to say, Oh, good job. Yes. You've covered all your bases. I was like, well, only packaged food. We won't eat together. All this stuff. Um, And they're like, yes, that's what you can do. And then, you know, basically like a week before we left, they said, oh, all restrictions are lifted, but I couldn't find a cook in that amount of time. So, uh, yeah, so I'm the cook, I'm the cleaner, and the teacher, and we're getting new roofs on all of our buildings, and it's happening right now, so that's happening too, and yeah, so the contractor, and yeah, it's a busy couple of weeks. (laughs) Awesome. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How about you? What are you doing? Exciting.
1: Oh man, you know, it's uh, it's been a very busy couple weeks, as I mentioned before, this is our busy season, and we're hosting a workshop, which I want to talk about more uh, soon, in a couple months, on instrumentation for academics, mm-hmm. um, which is a ton of fun. Uh, there is still a very small sign-up window, uh, so I'll try to remember to put the link in the the description here. If you're interested in an academic student or postdoc or early career, uh, or, but or anyone, we're, you're we're,
0: not you're not going to turn away anyone that wants to come. I'm guessing no matter where they're at in their career.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> well, we could potentially be space limited, uh, depending on the last minute sign ups here, because mm-hmm. you know everybody waits till last minute to sign up, so you have no idea how many people there actually are.
0: Yep, that is true. Uh,
1: but it's. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also a ton of work because we're doing things like electronics, which is not too much work. I mean, there's prep, we got to get ready to teach, and we have to have activities. Uh, but we're also doing things like machining and welding and <laughs> all of these things that require a lot of equipment and a lot of safety.
0: Can't wait. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's going to be fantastically fun, but I also plan on hibernating for the the week after. Oh,
0: yeah. Tell me about it. I, yes. (laughs) I totally understand that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and so one of the things that we're also toying with here is working on another field kit. uh, Another way to do geophysics, geophysical method in the field. With a simple, relatively low-cost kit.
0: Okay. I can't imagine there's something we haven't talked about on here, but there actually is.
1: (laughs) Spontaneous potential.
0: Are you talking about me? I have a lot of spontaneous potential.
1: (laughs) It's true. Uh, I don't think we've... We may have mentioned it. We may have mentioned it in passing and lumped it in with Magneto Tellurics, which is only sort of fair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and probably went on.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I my experience with Spontaneous Potential SP is much different than what I imagine you're going to t- discuss, even though we're still sensing rocks. So I'm very interested to hear the background of this. And I don't know if we talked about it. We talked about it on the Well Log show. That's probably where we just lumped it in. And then moved on. But because um, it's not necessarily used much anymore, although obviously the physics and viability of it is still totally valid.
1: Well, and it's still collected a lot because it's basically free to collect.
0: Yes, yeah, super easy. That is true. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's also used in uh, profiling earthen dams.
0: Oh. And which that's we'll important. get to.
1: yeah so um spontaneous potential most simply is the difference in voltage between two points that arises of its own accord
0: okay so you're just measuring stuff that's already got in electrical difference
1: yeah this is a passive method okay Mm -hmm. uh the simplest form of sp would be to take a multimeter like you go by at radio shack and set it on DC volts, and stick the probes in the ground.
0: Ooh, okay. That's SP. Great. <laughs> um,
1: there's a lot more to it, getting the right kind of electrode, but fundamentally that's what it is. And you know, everybody has this idea that well, ground is ground. Mm-hmm. And I say that in that the first ground is earth, and the second ground is in the electrical sense.
0: Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We drive a ground rod outside our house. Right. But you have to remember, well, and this, this tends a little more towards MT, so I'm just going to mention it, and then we'll get back to ground, that there are two charge sinks and sources in the Earth system. One is ground, the other is the upper ionosphere. Okay, yeah. If we wanted to put a ground rod in the upper ionosphere, we could use that for ground. It's just not very convenient, and the Earth is much easier.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's um, the that cord's way too long.
1: Yeah, and ground has nothing to do with the Earth. It is a point that you pick as a person and say, I am going to call this zero volts. Right. Because voltage measurement is all relative. Right. You can only say how many volts more is this point than this point in space.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yep. And so we have agreed that we're going to call earth ground ground for residential and commercial electrical distribution.
0: <laughs> okay. But if it's not really zero, what are you measuring when you stick your two electrodes in there?
1: Yeah. So you're measuring stuff down, you know, for, for a house uh, that you've got, let's say, 240 uh, volts coming in. Mm hmm. A few millivolts difference between your ground rod and your neighbor's ground rod is no big deal. Okay. Uh, that that little bit of noise, though, that doesn't really affect power distribution, is what we're looking for in SP.
0: Great. Because, I mean, it's cheap. You don't have to, like, put anything into it. You're just listening. Not listening, but, you know, sensing.
1: Yeah. Uh, And in a borehole, if you've got a conductive mud, it's as simple as putting a reference electrode at the surface, that is your zero, and then sticking a wire on the conductive tool
0: that's Mm -hmm. going down in the hole Mm -hmm. and
1: logging the voltage difference between them.
0: So we did this a lot, and the reason, you know, where I've used it is in really old oil fields. Like, you will have SP logs, and sometimes it's the only log that you get because you can tell the difference, just like you said, in what you're flowing through. Um And so those are... <laughs> it was always funny because it's just like this single line, you know, and it just goes, oscillates about the center point, and that's all it is, just one single line, and there you go. And so this was a cheap way that you could... um tell different things about the geology that you were going through and i think that wasn't even like it was made by schlumberger actually the first sp logs are they're the first ones
1: to have used this schlumberger is the first ones to really made it a well understood and viable technique yeah
0: right a common a common thing so and that was back like
1: every other borehole logging method
0: yeah basically mm-hmm. <laughs> yes yeah
1: that's true
0: i want to know where this was in the in the origin though like was this is the first thing that they're like yes this is what we'll do
1: i don't think so because we've actually known about well in in electrical engineering we call them ground loops <laughs> like uh and they're a problem we want to get rid of them mm-hmm. right uh, about these relative differences in ground for a long time but i think somebody finally said hey that that noise is my signal
0: Yep, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And it comes from a few places. Uh, there's a streaming potential, which we normally don't worry about too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is from the flow of some conductive thing over charged other things. Okay, great. Uh, and so your conductive thing would be water or mud. Mm-hmm. And your charged other things would be some minerals uh, that have a zeta potential.
0: Mm-hmm. So like stuff you would see in shales.
1: Yeah. hmm And I say we'd ignore streaming potential. That's not totally true. In surface SP for sure we don't really use it. Mm-hmm. But in borehole SP you can if you're uh, if you've got a very high mud pressure and you're actually injecting mud into the formation, you can get streaming potential signals from that.
0: Right. Yeah. Which sometimes happens.
1: Uh, right. <laughs> and then there is the uh, the liquid junction potential, or electrochemical potential. I like the word this, liquid
0: junction better,
1: but okay. <laughs> it, I, I prefer a moist junction potential.
0: <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and this is the fact that you've got... Uh, Something that has more fluid in it than something else, and you get a membrane potential across it.
0: Okay, and this is also really useful because you want to know where your different rock units are wet or not.
1: Yeah, and so you can, you can get things like bed thickness from SP logs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, most of the time we'd probably get that from resistivity and other things too, but it's right. nice to have something else to confirm. Yes, very because much so. resistivity logs are super sketchy sometimes. Uh Yes, uh,
0: Very easily to misread those or mess them up when you're, yeah, trying to figure stuff
1: out. So: And you can get some information about the resistivity of the bed. Uh, the main thing that you know is that hydrocarbons actually attenuate SP signals. So if you see tiny SP signals where you don't expect that because of the rock type, Probably a lot of hydrocarbon.
0: hmm Yep. Um,
1: you can know how much into the formation your mud has invaded.
0: Right, which is a big deal um, because that tells you a little bit something about
1: permeability to you. It does. And you can even back out the hole size because as the hole gets larger, the distance between the electrode and ground gets larger. SP is reduced.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And you would think, I know the hole size, but no, lots of stuff happens when you're drilling a hole. So even though you think you're drilling and it's a four inch diameter borehole, bore hole, that's not necessarily true underneath the ground.
1: Yes. Drilling is one of those things that sounds simple and is anything not. but.
0: Correct. <laughs> and so how do you tell that? You know, you can tell that when you like lose... Drilling returns or whatever, but also you can see that with SP.
1: Right. Uh, And then for surface SP, you would mostly be using it to look at things like permeability changes. Okay. Or presence of fluid. Right. Uh, I've seen some SP surveys that have been done over volcanoes. Really? Which I thought was an interesting... I don't know how successful they were, but I found some evidence that they've happened. Okay. Okay. No, what I'm would they be looking a for? More. Like, I'm guessing fluid movement. Okay. Interesting. But I'm not sure. Because uh, at those temperatures, you're not going to get a lot of the traditional chemical potential
0: right. kind of things. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen a surface SP survey ever. I mean, I've looked at my more than my fair share of borehole SP logs, but...
1: I don't think they're super common, um, but it's so cheap and easy to do and easy to interpret. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they may be used a little more on the civil side, but there's also surface MT magnetotrillex, which is much more common, but we'll talk about that another week. Okay. (laughs) Same equipment.
0: Oh, all right. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I don't know
0: anything about that, so that would be cool Uh to see.
1: But the tricky part is, so now I've said, okay, we're going we're gonna to stick some electrodes in the ground, measure the voltage between them. You might be tempted to go out and get a couple of ground rods, drive them in, and hook up your, your little multimeter. Mm-hmm. We do that for resistivity. Well, there's a little more than, there's four ground rods and a few other tricks. But you actually get a chemical reaction on the surface of the copper grounding rod with the fluid in the ground that swamps the naturally generated sp
0: oh okay so you got to do something else then
1: and this is where the porous pot electrode comes in
0: (laughs) this definitely sounds like some ancient battery technology
1: (laughs) it looks like ancient battery technology okay (laughs) Uh, the original ones were clay pots like you would put flowers in Mm mm-hmm And you would dig a little hole and put the clay pot in, and you would fill it with copper sulfate, uh, water, and let that seep through the pot. And then you stick a piece of copper wire or pipe or whatever into that, and you hook your voltmeter to that. Wow. So the copper sulfate is what makes the connection to the ground, but avoids the chemical reaction of having a solid copper rod. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. That's and then
1: it conducts to the copper rod that you then hook your multimeter to. Wow. Through a porous media.
0: How easy is it to get copper sulfate? Pretty easy?
1: I've got like a 10-pound bag of it in our storage trailer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do,
0: too. I was just... For everyone I listening. Mean, <laughs> I just to. <learned. laughs>
1: I, I, I can't accurately answer that question because my, my perception of what is normal to have... <laughs> Or how hard it is to obtain is so skewed.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, um, uh, I feel, I feel the, that a little bit.
1: Yeah, when we were talking about this. You know, we had the discussion at, at uh, the shop of, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, no, we got a big bag of that. Yeah, we we already have that.
0: <laughs> like the discussion today, hey, hand me all those bottles of acid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just uh, just another day in the office.
1: <laughs> so there are lots of variations on this porous pot electrode. Uh, some more modern ones are easier to use or assemble. Uh, we generally don't like to go around carrying, you know, liters of copper sulfate. It's yeah. not the best.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh,
1: so what we're working on, that. there are commercially available porous pot electrodes out there. They're not horribly expensive, but what we're working on is a full kit to let you do this for a relatively low cost, either with students or even as a real tool, like in a civil application. Okay. That's awesome.
0: That would be uh, really so fun. I could see that building that kit in a class would be very rewarding for students, you know, to... Put this together and then instantly see their, the fruits of their labor show this SP thing. You know, you don't have to worry about stuff breaking or nothing working.
1: Right. So. Now you do need a big, long wire, which is the most expensive part.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, 500 feet of copper wire is, you might as well go buy plywood right now.
0: Exactly. <laughs> that was the joke I had queued up, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: So it's not going to be the cheapest, but it's still going to be relatively inexpensive. Um, We're trying to design these electrodes to be pretty easy to disassemble, reassemble, replace, work on. If you back over one with a four-wheeler, you're not going to (laughs) cry. Some of the commercial ones are pushing a hundred bucks an electrode. Oh, wow. And you need two Mm -hmm. to do the most basic survey. Right. Uh, but if you can imagine like say you've got a big earthen dam and you want to know okay there's a lot of load on it right now do i have any significant water movement inside the dam
0: mhm
1: well you can do an sp survey across it and where you see spikes in sp indicates porous areas filled with fluid and or fluid movement
0: that's cool i could totally see that being extremely useful
1: right now kind of like uh gravity or magnetics because of changes in the ionosphere sp changes throughout the day okay. so you need to go back and do you know what we call a cross tie uh, or a drift correction point mm-hmm. so i'm gonna take some points and i'm gonna go back and do my base point if you will again right now, if you monitor that change throughout time, now you're getting into the magnetotellurics area.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, so let's stop talking then.
1: Yeah, so we'll <laughs> stop talking. But that's that's the very basics of an SP survey. Now, I've seen people build these with you know some pieces of PVC and wood. Okay. Uh, and you can certainly do that. I don't know... To me, that's one of those things that you're not going to want to do as a student or professor <laughs> if there's something pretty low cost that's got all the pieces you need already. Correct. Yeah. Because, you know, you need like six inches of PVC for this. So, yep, you got to go buy a six-foot stick and tie <laughs> that onto your car or more. <laughs> uh, okay, you need like this little piece of concrete board but you got to go buy a four-by-eight sheet of that. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things where it's really inexpensive to build as long as you're building a couple hundred.
0: <laughs> yeah, kit sounds good.
1: Yep, so that's where we come in. Uh, but I think it's a really cool method because it's so simple.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's it. I agree. I, I really enjoyed um, spending hours in the log libraries. I'm not kidding here. Um, looking up those sp logs because it does it starts to get confusing when you have like a suite of logs and things are telling you different stuff and i really liked it. i was like oh there's just this sp log this is really great and you can compare to the rest of the field and it was just a good data point to
1: have and there's some things that we're going to try to do a little better like uh, some electrodes are clear in clear containers, so you can see how much copper sulfate solution you have.
0: Oh, neat. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool, except the UV from the sun actually causes uh, a reaction. Yeah, okay. Uh, so you have to shade those. Yeah, makes sense. And then the temperature of the electrolyte can make things change slightly. So we're going to monitor it. Gotcha. Uh So we're trying to do it a little different, but mostly the same basics.
0: Hmm. That seems really cool. I can't wait to do an SP survey in my backyard.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm trying to find. You know, I've got a couple ideas for some dams around here. Uh, but I'm also not sure what the liabilities are if we find something. Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> I guess. Hey, found this thing. You should look at that. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. You should. You should hire a geophysical consultant. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Let me introduce you to one.
0: Exactly. <laughs> then you have to turn around real quick and then turn back towards them with a fake mustache on.
1: <laughs> it's true. I <laughs> we'll have to change my name slightly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a plan. Jin.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs>
1: Jonathan. No, oh, there you go. Yeah. That,
0: that feels weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, because it's not my name. But. Correct.
0: <laughs> Well'll we'll anyway, with so <laughs>
1: that's that test in a nutshell really i mean there, there are some of course fiddly details, like everything, yes, yeah, but that's, that's true. the fundamentals of the method uh, and you can do it on a budget. that's cool.
0: it's the best science,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly it's I like it because it you know there's nothing that's not first principles here you're measuring <laughs> yes. the quantity, there's no transducer, mm-hmm. you're not measuring like acceleration but as a voltage but right you're gonna nope it's just voltage is what you want that's you're what you're measuring directly
0: what you're getting that's true well let me tell you after all that hard work spontaneously potentially, I just want to go you know sit in the square somewhere
1: and that means it's <laughs> time for everybody's favorite segment of the show <laughs> fun paper friday
0: oh yay daryl killing it again
1: so I have to say this this paper reminded me and your joke of a great physics joke. I got to share it.
0: Oh, okay dad, let's hear it.
1: <laughs> yep, so this is this is actually a good way to remember and helped me several times remember the units for this. All right, so Einstein, Pascal, and Newton are playing hide and seek. <laughs> Einstein turns around and starts counting. And Pascal runs off and hides. And Newton sits down behind Einstein, pulls out a piece of chalk, and draws a square. And Einstein gets to 100 and turns around and says, Newton, what are you doing? I I found you. And he says, no, Einstein. You found one Newton per square meter. You found a Pascal. (laughs) <laughs>
0: oh my god. Just when I think you can't get any worse with these dad jokes. It, it, it's pretty bad. <laughs> that one's that one's intense.
1: <laughs> but it helps you will now never forget the never. units of pascal.
0: I mean, I never had a problem with that one, but you're absolutely correct. I never will now. <laughs> yep. So,
1: everybody who's got an upcoming physics test, you're welcome.
0: You're welcome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So, Einsteins and kitty cats like to sit in boxes, and now we have empirical evidence that this is true.
1: If I fits, I sits, a citizen science investigation into illusory contour susceptibility in domestic cats by Smith et al.
0: (laughs) I love it. It's so funny. So, there was this Twitter thing, uh, hashtag cat square, where people made these squares... (laughs) (laughs) You know, painting tape or all kinds of ridiculous things. Why cats love to sit on squares. And so why do they and how do they see that is kind of what's being um, investigated here through a citizen science framework because of COVID. And a lot of things have come. It's kind of it's actually really neat. The things that have come out of this, like do cats perceive visual illusions. And obviously, you know, if you've had a cat, your cat sits in a box all the time, right? They love boxes. I have so many pictures of my cat squeezed into a Mountain Dew box. It's so funny, (laughs) Um, as most cat owners do. But why would they sit in a box that's two-dimensional?
1: I mean, can they tell that it's two-dimensional? I mean, there's feel. So maybe they like boxes?
0: I uh uh-huh, I guess. So It's one, a pleasing
1: shape, I don't know. It
0: it is a pleasing shape. It makes you just want to cuddle up into it. And so they use these visual illusions, which is I guess is a thing. The Kinesa Square illusion. Do you have you heard of this thing before?
1: uh no i thought i knew what it was until i saw it and it is not what i thought it was Uh
0: huh. yeah it was yeah not what i correct so they got 500 people to sign up for this but they did the <laughs> wrong thing of like having them print off and cut out these little illusion things and tape them down six times a day so only like 10 people finished the whole study or something. 30, I think, out of 50. Yes,
1: 30, uh, which I, I laughed hysterically. And they said that was one of the biggest problems of citizen science is high participant <laughs> fallout.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that. Um, and so they have, they're like these little Pac-Man things. And if you face them all out, they don't make a square. But if you face them all in towards each other, it's like the illusion of a square. So they are like four Pac-Mans, as you can imagine, Pac-Man eating the corner of a square. And so the illusion of a square exists. And then, like I said, you turn the Pac-Mans where it looks like they're eating outwards, and it doesn't look like a square anymore. And then they would have... And for those
1: listeners that are in school, Pac-Man is a vintage video game. (laughs) Go look it up.
0: (laughs) It was the big orange guy in pixels, guys. Yellow guy. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Which is a movie that's older now, so yeah. Okay. And then also squares. And basically they said, put these things down and record your cat. And does your cat sit in it or not?
1: And it turns out. And it was all limbs in for at least three seconds. All
0: limbs in for three seconds. And as you're recording them, they didn't want to, I thought this part was hilarious, avoid any visual attention cueing. And so you had to wear dark sunglasses. (laughs) That was my favorite part. Oh, they actually described them as Pac Mans. That was just me. Great.
1: <laughs> I bet the participant dropout would have been so much higher without COVID. But oh, with yes. COVID everybody was just looking desperately for things to do while they uh-huh. were working from home.
0: Oh yeah. I'm impressed that they got thirty, really.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was an intense schedule. It was a commitment.
0: It really was. Yeah. The six six times a day. I mean, even if you're at home like really want to do this <laughs> but it was overwhelming of the 30 participants that all but this last cat that's <laughs> on table two <laughs> um yeah <laughs> little they give the name of the cat which i think is hilarious because why would you ever need to know that it just shows that these people are cat people um so Totoro the cat didn't like anything except the <laughs> the Pac-Man's shaping out, which facing out, which don't look like a box. So she sat in that. <laughs> but she was less than a year old, so I'm gonna say kittens don't know anything.
1: <laughs> yes, dyslexic like cats.
0: Yeah, but most of the rest of the cats set in the fake. Well, half the rest of the cats set in the fake square. So the Pac-Man's facing in. And almost all the cats set in the real square. There was one cat which is a Siberian, which is the kind of cat I have. You're set in the fake square exclusively and I appreciate that cat.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> May said this this want to sit in a confined space is so intense that if there are no confined spaces available, they'll try to make one.
0: Right. So these the advantage of this study is that these are domestic cats that are you know happily in their own environment. But there are laboratory cats, sadly, and it said that laboratory cats will try to like, you know, they try to hide under their litter box and stuff like this, and that's all for want of being in a square, being in a box.
1: Yeah, and they what blew my mind was we don't know why still.
0: Yeah, I I think it's got to just be a comfort thing. I would think. Well, okay, I would think until this study. Yeah. Like why? Why are you sitting on this fake box in the middle of the floor?
1: <laughs> but this does tell us that their visual processing system is actually quite advanced because they can perceive the illusion.
0: Right. And so that was, that was an interesting part, too. And it said that other things have been, other experiments have been done with cats to talk about how they visually see things. There's something about the way this, there's a certain visual illusion of this snake moving and it will send them into, you know, hunting stance. So with their little butt up in the air and waggling. And then this, the contours that they see that create this box illusion are very similar to, you know, how our eyes work too.
1: Yeah. So eyes and the the actual brain power to do it. I was surprised. I, I didn't think they would make the connection when I first saw the, the picture of uh-huh. the snake squares.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I figured as much, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to go print this off and try it myself. I'm probably going to get in touch with them and I'll follow their schedule, with my kitty cats. There you go. <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, they point out that there's lots of stuff done and we've done lots of papers on this podcast about dogs and even honeybees and all that cognition. But people just assume cats, I don't know, will never fall for anything and so there isn't a lot of cat cognition research really
1: yeah i guess so but there you go it is being done and this was a uh, a pretty brave effort at citizen science
0: <laughs> agreed um the pictures of the little kitty cats doing their thing or ignoring the other squares is just great <laughs>
1: yes so definitely go check this paper out you can get the pdf through google scholar without having to pay uh and thanks daryl for sending this in. yeah
0: that's i was i'm sorry i was just lost looking at the the twitter feed of cats and squares (laughs) so thanks daryl for that too (laughs)
1: And if you would like to send in data on your cat's performance in this test, Shannon, how can they do that?
0: Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Please, God, send me your kitty pictures. I'm at field camp. I would love to be distracted. Uh, you can tweet us those kitty pictures, too, um, at don'tpanicgeo. I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Um, I'm hanging out of the Slack channel a couple times a day, so come see us there. We're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us on Patreon to keep us going, you can do so. Don't panic. It's patreon.com slash don't panic geo.
1: And even though listeners and even people that don't listen to the show wish that we would go sit in a box (laughs) or other confined space whenever they hear us say it, until next week, remember don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.